Welcome to another episode of Visitings, where we talk to artists who are engaged with the public outside the traditional exhibition space. My name is Alan Akagawa, and I'll be your host. On October 3rd, 2017, Visitings Radio Show held its first public event. Visitings, a virtual studio visit and marathon conversation, was presented as part of Beach Culture at the Annenberg Community Beach House, a program of the City of Santa Monica. We are grateful to Naomi Okuyama, Cultural Affairs Supervisor, who facilitated our event. One of our guest artists that evening was Jim Fox, composer and founder of Cold Blue Music. The entire catalog of Cold Blue Music can be accessed at coldbluemusic.com. Before we get into the interview, I'd like to play one of Jim's compositions titled Colorless Sky Became Fog from the album Cold Blue 2. It's composed by Jim Fox and is performed by Teresa Dimon on hammered dulcimer, Brian Pezon on piano, Alma Lisa Fernandez on viola, Erica Duke Kirkpatrick on cello, and James Berman on double bass.
Well, my name is Jim Fox. Um, I don't know that I have much of a title. I'm a uh, composer, and I'm also uh, the founder and director of Cold Blue Records, uh, Cold Blue Music, actually, not Records. Um, where should we start? I think we could talk about, could we talk about your music first? Whatever you wish to do. I think that would be fun. Okay. Um, for instance, I don't know this story. How, how is it that you came to, to L.A.? Well, that was sort of an accident. I, I grew up in the Midwest, uh, grew up in Indianapolis, and uh, went to college in, in Chicago. And um, there I met a, a fellow who uh, was a guest lecturer at, at one of the schools in Chicago. He was a friend of the person I was studying with. And we sort of hit it off, and I, I knew his work through publications of in a in a magazine called Source, and uh, and also I had some recordings of it at that time, and so he invited me to come out and do my graduate work out in California with him, and sort of gave me a free ride, and so I came out here, and when I was finished, I found myself stranded in L.A., <laughs> and I've been here ever since. That was a long time ago. Hmm. You, you decided to stay. Well, yeah, I. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't really money to go anywhere else, and, and I had some connections here at that time. So sure. And were you already composing at that point? Uh, I started composing in the high school. Oh, okay. So yeah. Did, did the Southern California, lifestyle change influence your work? You know, in a certain way, it, perhaps it, 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 well, I'm sure it, it, it did to some degree, but oddly enough, uh, when I, I sent some, uh, some pieces into, um, uh, that I had written in Chicago into a, a fellow who was doing a publication of new music scores, uh, based around actually some people from CalArts. And he said, oh my gosh, it looks like you're copying the, the California stuff. <laughs> And I said, no, these were written before I had any idea uh, what was going on out there. So it was an adventure for me to come out here, I thought, you know, because I'd never been west of the, the Mississippi. Wait a I'd, minute. I'd gone to New York. What, what did he mean and, by that? Oh, he just felt that sort of the, 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 sort of the, the quiet, uh, reserved, somewhat slow, uh, somewhat open-sounding music was was very California. Oh. So it was, it was something I, my influences were, were perhaps... Shared. There were a few English composers I was influenced by at that point, or, or Terry Jennings, who actually did have a connection out here, and some of his scores that I had um, run across in the uh, Jackson McClough uh, Lamont Young anthology called an anthology, um, and other things like that. At that point, how was the landscape for? Can I call it avant-garde music, or can I call it well, new it, music? It, yeah, the new music, I guess, is what mm -hmm. we call it, though it's, you know, that, that doesn't say anything. <laughs> no. Avant-garde music is really almost a period. You know, I kind of think of, of Boulez right. and, and that sort of uh, kind of uh, hyper-intense uh, music with, with avant-garde or, or early 20th century music, such as, you know, Antiles or something like that, or his early work. Um... What was your question? Well, I, I guess, got lost in, the, <laughs> in my. Uh, I guess what I really wanted to ask was non-answer there. How was how was the community at oh, that right. time? 
Well, yeah, it was... Uh, and I'm asking you that because, obviously, Cold Blue it, it, it embraces came out of, It came community. out of, of, of that because... Um, I guess I'm a little bullheaded, and when I saw what was happening in terms of the, the concerts, there were, there were no new music concerts like there are today. There was one every three or four months back then, and there were no major ensembles doing anything. It was really spotty. There was the um, ICA, Independent Composers uh, Association, I guess it was, and I didn't really... Um, I was bothered by certain things that, that they were doing, such as they they put Schoenberg on the thing. I said, why, why are we putting some old guy like that on there? You know, uh, they should just be doing you know young living living folk. Um, and so I then started putting on concerts spottily here and there uh, at, at galleries uh, like you know Lace Gallery back when it was on Broadway uh, downtown. Um, I did a 12 hours, 12 composers over for two days uh, at some place called the Double Rocking G Gallery um, back in probably 1980, 81, something like that, 82. Uh, you know, just kind of no no real series. I, I did the Tuesday evening concert at Steinway Hall. It doesn't exist anymore, Steinway Hall, uh, which was in, I think, guess the Sherman Clay building there on Wilshire. Um... So, yeah, I just kind of dabbled in that sort of thing and then, then started the record company sort of around the same time or a little later, a year or two later. Um, back then, they also had the Wallen Boyd. Yes, the Wallen Boyd Gallery. I'm trying to think what was going on there. I mean, there were, there were other things going on. Mm -hmm. Lee Kaplan, you know, who now is, is, runs the uh, Arcana Books, he used to, to book stuff in town here. At that time, he was working for, for Rhino Records and, and doing a lot of work with Vinnie Golia. He, he used to, you know, uh, they used to have a duo. Uh, in fact, I booked them on that 12-hour concert as a duo back then, whenever it was, 81, 82. The, um, I guess the in the 80s also, we, we start to see the building of noise in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, that was kind of a little bit of field from what I was doing. Um, I began sort of uh, promoting the work of, of local composers whose music just sort of touched me in one way or another, and that was people like Daniel Lentz. Or, or Who was using a lot of electronics back in the early He 80s. was. Yeah. Uh, he had... <laughs> If he could have patented it, he would. It was just a tape <laughs> delay system, basically, that he would call his um, cascading echo system. And uh, what was that? Oh, it was just a, a series of tape delays. Uh, he's now recently, as in fact, with the the most recent work of his that I've um, released uh, a few months ago, um, "River of a Thousand Streams." There, he's actually using Max, which allows him rather than having direct repetition in a linear fashion, the tape delay, uh, you could grab a few seconds from right at the beginning and have it appear 20 minutes later or five different times. And, you know, uh, I, I remember he, and he had various machines over the years. There was a strange Akai 14 track mixer that recorded also onto a videotape cassette that went into it anyway. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Colby music is kind of not noisy in a way. 
Uh, I, I mean, it's it's not. There's, there's no manifesto. There's no clubhouse. There's no, uh, you know, specific requirements. And there have been some noisy pieces, and there have been, you know, but but in general, it's it's kind of a little bit uh, quieter music. The first time I was introduced to Cold Blue, it was at the uh, at Cluey Center for mm, Land Use sure. Interpretation on Venice Boulevard, next door to Museum of Jurassic Technology, and I thought, this is odd. Why are these? What are these CDs <laughs> doing at Cluey? Right. And then uh, Matt and Sarah are like, oh. You should you should listen to this stuff. You know you should meet Jim Fox. They said. Well, I used a number of photos from there. What I like is that they're sort of very. Uh, I mean, if you want to use a detail from a photo, they're they they're, they don't unto themselves. They're not postcardy. They're they're just blank images of, of you know this bit of landscape or that type of landscape. So over the years, I've used uh, quite a few photos from from there. And then Sarah, I've known since. Probably the, I don't know, late 70s, something like that. Oh. So. Where did you meet her? In a bookstore. Okay. I mean, we were both working in bookstores at that time in Hollywood. She's one of the founders, can I say, of Cluey? I know. You know, I I don't know exactly how that's, it's really Matt's thing. Okay. You know, as as, it's kind of, it's it's his thing, but but she's been there for forever. Right. Uh, and she had been working at the, the, you know, they share in a sense a building and a common workspace with the Museum of Jurassic Technology, and she'd been doing things over there. There's, um, and she did the book for them. No one may ever have this same knowledge again, which was uh, she transcribed and edited the letters. And so there's a little room at the Museum of Jurassic Technology showing some of those letters, and then they also, the, the museum published that book. There, there is a similar aesthetic, isn't there, between Cluey and Cope Blue to some degree? Oh, not really. I, no? You know, to, to I, me, well, there look, is. I don't, I don't want to say that there isn't. I, I just, I, I don't know, you know, I wouldn't be able to identify an aesthetic for Cold Blue. And mm. so, shying from, from giving you a direct answer on that, <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't give you a direct answer on, oh. on, on, uh, on Cluey either. I, I guess, maybe, I don't know if it's a stretch, but I just think... Um, I mean, I love what they do there. Yeah. It's, it, 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 you know, that's... But that's... But, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know. There, there's a... There's this... Um, they have this knack of sh- introducing you to landscape, often man-made and often abandoned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and then so you're revisiting something and by revisiting or I'm sorry, visiting it, you're recontextualizing sure. the landscape that somebody or a group of engineers, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. created, you know. And then so that that idea of uh, repurposing land, I mean, in many ways. A lot of the composers on Cold Blue, what I love about it is there's, there's sort of this re-examining and then recontextualization of sound. Perhaps. To, for me. Yes. No, then yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And so, and maybe that's because I, I discovered it at Cluey. But <laughs> sure. I, you know, so um, I, I always felt the, a lot of the composers on your label that you represent um, have that knack 
of taking sound and re- reintroducing it to you in a completely different way, uh, okay. above and beyond the sure. composing sure. Uh, sure. technique. Yeah. Um, the Cold Blue has a website. Right. right. What's the website? Uh, www.coldbluemusic.com. And are there any concerts coming up? Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's an expensive proposition for me running the company. And I, uh, I mean, gosh, when I started it in the 80s for its first short-lived life, you know, and then it was dormant for 15 years and then reincarnated in 2000. But when I first started it, uh, I, I was eating Top Ramen and, you know, working minimum wage in bookstore and using that money to on the side. <laughs> wow. I mean, I had an apartment that only cost 120 bucks, so that was, uh, you know, and I had that for 10 years. Wow. Uh, so that was, you know, it was, so anyway, and it, it hasn't changed much. I, I, I make a little more money now, but <laughs> but not, you know, not, not oodles of money. And um, so it's still a matter of what I can save up for a project and do and, and that sort of thing, you know. And we, we've, we've gotten grants sometimes over the years, but. I'm lazy about applying for them, and I just hate the the hoops that one jumps through, mm. and you know, to do that. You mentioned the ICA. Yes. Are they still around? Oh no, they've been no, uh, they're gone. Been gone for and there's nothing 30 like years. that. Well, there's there's I, I don't there? know if there if there is or isn't. I you know I'm kind of uh, yeah. just an an old guy wandering around in the landscape of the younger <laughs> composers, you know, when I show up at concerts. Um, I, uh, there, there's lots of different little organizations. Very often, I mean, the, the piano spheres, is, is, it's not an organization of composers the way that was. I, I don't know that there is an organization of composers, which is what ICA mm. was. Um, uh, you know, David Ocker was a big part of it then, uh, but he was also, you know, one of the sort of a, a top clarinetist for new music in town at that point. He sort of dropped away from that. It's mainly music copyists now. But um. the great thing about the ICA was, um, if you had a gig mm-hmm. coming up and you wanted to pay the musicians, you could write them, and they'll they'd give you a couple hundred bucks to give to the musicians. That's what oh, I remember. I, I didn't know that they they did that. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I got that grant a couple of times, and it's not. Most grants that are available for artists are uh, that annual. That was the ICA, because I thought that they were probably out of business by maybe 84, 85, something like that. Probably. You don't look old enough to. <laughs> well, I, I got it, uh, well, you know, because Carl was my, my, my mm-hmm. teacher at Otis. Oh, okay. So he told us about it. So I remember getting money at for a lace gig mm-hmm. and a gig at Easy TV huh. back in the 80s. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. So, but there, I don't think there's anything like that now. Uh, we no, actually have no, Alex there isn't. Wand there was this, the uh, audience. Is there anything like that now? No. You have to wait a year, right? You write a grant, and then they tell you in about a year if you got well, it or not. There was a little organization that that had a regional offices, and they were doing something called Subito grants, which are kind of nice. Oh, right. And Is as far around? as music grants, no, they, oh. they, 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 they that kind of closed, and they went national uh they they closed their regional offices i mean those were small grants but they were very handy Uh, they'd be it was maybe a six week to two month turnaround on application 
Um, and I just, you know, that, that, that's great for someone like me. I, I don't have the patience to apply for something um, and then have to wait nine months before deciding whether we're going to go into the studio and if we can line up the performers to coincide. And so it just, it doesn't, it drives me nuts. And, you know, companies that live on those grants, they, they cancel the project or push it back if they don't get the money. And right. once I decide to do something, I just figure, okay, then how are we going to do it? And, and not, not, I don't like to be uh, beholden to the grant hmm. people in a way. So you have some, you, you're publishing still for Cold Blue. Oh, we're yeah, we're, we're more active than than ever. I mean, even though I went through a terrible time a year and a half ago, my uh, U.S. distributor, North American distributor, and digital distributor together went out of business, owing me a year's worth of receipts, mm. and that was really hard to take. Um, mm. And so I, I found a new distributor, but you know, it was a, it was a very large. Lost some of which I'd already paid out in royalties because oh. I try to be ultra honest. And wow. so, anyway, there we go. What are the recent public works that you're published? Um, that you've published? Well, we did uh, Stephen Whittington's uh, Windmill, which is two string quartets of his. Uh, he's an Australian composer. Um, we did, you know, uh, I, I had done an earlier of his music for airport furniture uh, a few years back, another string quartet. Um, and, and and he was over here. I, I had him, I, we, we did one of his pieces at Monk Space uh, mm. Gallery nice. and, uh, about a year and a half ago. And the, the new Daniel Lentz piece that I mentioned to you. Um, and then I have a recording of Larry Polanski uh, and some of his Bay Area uh, cohorts doing some of his chamber works. Um, and uh, before that, I had uh, you know uh, John Luther Adams with Jack Quartet. In fact, we've got another John Luther Adams Jack Quartet project coming up in about well, it's a February release. Oh. Can you tell us about that? Uh, well, it's you know it's a sort of uh, in sixteen parts. It's a it's an hour long piece, um, and uh, it's it's very. Uh, very difficult string writing. <laughs> uh, it's a little more dissonant than, than his music uh, usually has been. It's it's primarily a, a textural piece that almost sort of breathes as it uh, goes and comes um, as it moves through its its paces. It has a beautiful, you know, the ending is uh, transcendent. <laughs> And, uh, and I also have a, a Peter Garland, uh, one of my, my old friends, oh. a, a new piece of his for um, three uh, large uh, tie gongs and, uh, and a three-foot tam-tam. And, um, and that's uh, and Willie Winant, the, the Bay Area. Uh, well, he plays with John Zorn and everybody. He came down, and, and we recorded that last summer, a few months ago. And uh, so we have a lot of things still cooking and, and other things. And I've, I've got another John Luther coming down the road, too. Uh, I mean, I've been doing him for a long time. And, uh, but I, you know, and, and so he's, we, we've had a long relationship. I think I've done seven albums of his. Wow. So um, That's fantastic. Or six albums, and then he's on 
two anthologies. And uh, many of these pieces, are are they still available at Cluey? Well, I don't know about at Cluey. Um, but definitely online. Well, any, yeah, any kind of record shop or online record store or they can get them through me or, you know, through the company, uh, though I don't really have a shopping cart or anything. <laughs> it's a little difficult sometimes ordering through the website, mm. uh, but it's appreciated. And, uh, yeah, they're, I, I'd like to say that they're available pretty much anywhere records are sold, you know. Um, I wish I had some of the old vinyl because I have people calling all the time now for the vinyl from the 80s, you know. But uh, I have some cold blue vinyl. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well. <laughs> is it rare now? It, it sort of is, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, it's back vinyl. It's, yes, it is. Yeah. Could you have predicted that? Well, I would have preferred never to go to CD in the first place. Uh, the early CD players and, and, and recordings were terribly brittle and, mm. and just really unattractive sounding. Um, but once I made that move, it's difficult to now go back for, for a number of reasons. One is just how many formats can one go through in one lifetime. And the other is that I've gotten used to being able to put on pieces that just get down to absolute silence and, and just have little whispery sounds and things that you can get on the CD that, that's just a little bit lost on, on vinyl. Um, and so, uh, though I will say what I, that, that the, the impermanence of CDs is, is, is troublesome because say 20 years hence or something, um, when there will not be CD players, uh, they will be drink coasters. I, I mean, there's, there's nothing you can do. In, in a post-apocalyptic world, you can take an old scratched up piece of vinyl and find a twig to spin it on and take a, a pine needle and put your <laughs> ear next to it, and you can get an idea of what's on there. You know, any, you know, it's, and so that, those will be around as long as, uh, you know, for, for a long time. Um. The, at the uh, Echo Park Film Center, they were showing me, what was that? I think it was a Victrola, maybe? Mm. And the needle was actually, what was that? It was like a a bird's talon or something like that. Oh. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, anything anything would work because it's just riding the, yeah. the grooves and, and, and producing vibrations. And, and, yeah, so. hmm. Sure. It's so organic. Take, 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 take a thing, spin it, put a, just a little, uh, you know, sewing needle or something. We should bring this your... back. Organic <laughs> turntables. Sure. Well, the fidelity <laughs> isn't much. And, you know. No, well, that's so. right. My, my hearing's starting to go, so the fidelity is ne never going to be much anymore. Well, that's, 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 that's a problem, yes. A hawk talon could be interesting. Sure. Yeah. Before we end this episode, let's hear one more work by Jim. This is titled Excerpt, Coda from Descanso's Past. Composed by Jim Fox, it's performed by Erica Duke Kirkpatrick on cello, Jessica Catron on cello, Anelia Perry on cello, and Barry Newton on double bass.
Oh, that's great. Okay. Thank you so much, oh, Jim. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for you doing Code Blue. It's yeah, so awesome. Thanks. I appreciate it. That concludes another episode of Visitings. Thank you to Jim Fox for being on the show. Once again, thanks to Naomi Okayama, cultural affairs supervisor who facilitated our event, Visitings, a virtual studio visit and marathon conversation, which was presented as part of Beach Culture at the Annenberg Community Beach House, a program of the city of Santa Monica. Thanks, as always, to the Echo Park Film Center, Machine Projects, and Dub Black for letting me share this. I'm Alan Nakagawa, sitting in my living room in Koreatown, saying thank you for listening to Visitings. Mm-hmm.